Well, welcome, Thursday night service, to uh, our third installment. This week, we're going to be discovering the roadmap into accelerated growth and abundant and our abundant life, looking at the commandment, um, thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. So the third commandment. How many people here read uh, Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet? Did you ever read that, like in school or something like that? Well, there's a, there's a very famous line in that that the protagonist, Juliet, says to her lover, Romeo. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not, Kim didn't marry me because I was romantic. Kim married me because I made her laugh. And she loved to giggle and laugh and, and have fun. I guess I was the guy that could make her do that. So she's like, yeah, I'm going to pick you. So I'm going to do my very best to read these. Not, it, it was this long. I shortened it to like two lines. Because I know I wouldn't do it justice. So the famous line in this discourse between Juliet and Romeo, she says in this discourse, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other word would smell as sweet. What do you think? How would I do, Bruce? Feels good? All right. Romeo and Juliet would find out that names aren't so easily discarded. And they mean a whole lot more than we think. You know, one of the very first things a parent does when they find out they're going to have a baby is they start looking for names. What are we going to name it? Man, you get excited. Parents go to great lengths to pick out a name. They look at genealogy, and they look at family history, and they get books, like, with 10,000 baby names. And, you know, when Kim and I were naming our kids, she broke out this book. I mean, it was real, we didn't have the Internet and all that stuff, you know, early on. And so she broke out this book, like, had 10,000 baby names. And she's like, we're going to go through this tonight. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I mean, that's as bad as reading the dictionary. <laughs> you know, you read a name, then the, the definition of the name or whatever it means. I'm like, no way. But Kim was very adamant. We got to pick out just the perfect name. Now, today, people go to Pinterest and go to, <laughs> y'all think I'm joking. They go to Pinterest and they go to online lists of, the best 100, uh, 100 best baby girl names of 2019. But when we named our kids, it was the book. So we, we combed through the book, and there was actually this little boy in the daycare where Kim worked, and his name was Devin, and man, he was a little stinker. He was ornery, and he was tough, and he was just, a, just a, one of those um, real tough little boys, you know. You could just tell this dude's going to be a football player or something, man, and I really liked him, and so his name was Devin, and I told De uh, Kim, I was like, yeah, we're going to name our kid Devin, so that was my extent of research, you know, let's name him Devin, so Kim's like, no, we're going to look at what Devin means, and as soon as she found out what Devin means, she was like, oh, yeah, poet, and then, of course, we named him Devin Mitchell, because my brother, uh, my closest brother to me in age, uh, two years older than me, his name is Chad Mitchell. So Mitchell is a, deriv a derivative of Michael. And so we named him Devin Mitchell, poet who is like God. Oh, man, isn't that awesome? Poet who is like God. Then Lauren, our daughter, she came along, and her name, it comes from the laurel tree. And it can be translated sweet baby tree because it has a sweet fragrance. It's a, an evergreen. And then her middle name, Abigail, means father's joy. And then Ethan comes along, and Ethan was a worship leader in the Bible. 
And his name means steadfast, strong, and firm. And then his middle name, Michael, which my cousin, Michael, a real close cousin of mine, named after. And Michael also means who is like God. And then Ian means the Lord is gracious. And his middle name, Dean, which was one of my best friends in high school's name, means valley um, or a church official. And then comes Aiden, our fifth child. Kim was probably in her late 30s, mid to late 30s. I was, I was pushing, you know, 40. And so we had Aiden. And Aiden's name means little fire. What were we thinking? Look, I got a hint for you. If you're going to have children in your later age, because children often are very uh, close to what you name them. They act close to what you name them. So Aiden's name is it's Aiden James because my dad's name is James. And James is a derivative of Jacob, which means surplanter. So his name is Little Fire Surplanter. Be careful what you name your children because there's power in the name. So I sat Aiden down and I, in preparing, he actually come into the, my room because I was at home practicing my sermon. And I was like, Aiden, you can't be in here. He's like, but dad, I just want to listen to you preach. I'm like, all right, come on, <laughs> come on in. You can, you can listen to me preach. I had already kicked him out like five times. But he said the right words. <laughs> and so I said, well, Aiden, he's, and I said his name and I was in this part of my sermon. He's like, you're going to be talking about me? I'm like, yeah. He's like, you know what your name means? He's like, no. Well, he knows little fire. I said, do you know what surplanter means? I mean, that's not really that great of a thing <laughs> when we look at it. You know, Jacob kind of uh, stole his brother's birthright and, his, and the blessing, right, by trickery. So literally, a surplanter is they get ahead by trickery. And so I told him, I said, you know, Jacob, James is a derivative of Jacob, and Jacob means surplanter. And that means that you get what you want by tricking people. And he goes, yeah, that's me. <laughs> and he walks out. So he's, <laughs> he's true to his name too, man. He, he tries to get things by tricking. But you know, God said, Jacob I love and Esau I hated. And God had a plan for Jacob. So even when you have a child in your older age, not, I mean, not old age, but you know, in your childbearing years towards the end, be careful. Names have power. So this week, in our 10 talks, we're going to tackle the third commandment. We know that when God gives a commandment, he does so to help us into our best. It is not a list to cage you. It is instruction to propel you into the best for your life. In Exodus 20, verse 7, well, the past two weeks we've read the whole 10 commandments. We're not going to do that tonight. We're going to jump in right at our uh, verse for tonight. It says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. All right, before we jump in uh, to what the commandment means in our context, allow me to frame it uh, for our discussion. See, I believe the busyness of the American culture, it, it may cause us to casually approach the third commandment. It is easy to speed by this commandment and, and just take away from it, watch your mouth. Don't cuss. Don't use too many OMGs. It feels less like a commandment and more like mom and dad telling us to brush our teeth. But the Bible paints a very different picture. 
anyone, and this is Leviticus 24, 16, anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death. The entire assembly must stone them. Whether foreign or native-born, when they blaspheme the name, they are to be put to death. Man, it just got real in church. Could you imagine that law being acted in Jerusalem at that time? You know, your wife stays home with a sick kid. She doesn't go to church that day. You come home, and and she's like, hey, honey, did anybody get stoned at church today? I mean, they killed people for taking the Lord's name in vain, for blaspheming his name. That's how serious it was. The Levitical instruction here clearly underlines the severity of this sin. So how can we keep this command, and how does it help us towards our best lives? Well, the first observation I think that we need to make is we don't name God. God reveals his name to us in Scripture. Many people ask uh, one another, who do you think God is? What's your name for God? I love that one. What's your spirituality? What's your religion? What's your philosophy? What's your ideology? I think God is this. I think God is that. I think God's name is this. I think God's name is that. Well, I think that everybody's talking about the same God, and we just call them different things. Well, I got news for you. The Bible says no. There is one God, and he tells us his name. And we have no right to create a name for God because that's an act of authority. Like our previous example, you were born, and your parents named you because they had authority over you. If we name God, we exercise authority over God, and the reality is he is in authority. We don't name him. He reveals his name to us. And as we'll see in a moment, he says he is the Lord, the sovereign one, the one who is over all. To invoke someone's name was to assume the identity of that individual. I come in the name of. So we see this in our culture even today with our ambassadors When they go over to a foreign country to negotiate for the United States, they're going in the name of the President of the United States. They're going in the name of the United States of America. So we know that there's power behind that title or that name. It was no different back in those days. And no Israelite would ever dare invoke God's name out of sheer reverence for his holiness. Nor would they conceive The idea of assuming God's identity. The name, God's name, that he revealed to Moses is Yahweh. We talked about that last week. We found it in Exodus 3 where God speaks and and then later on in, in Exodus 34. And God speaks to Moses from the burning bush. So let's unpack a little bit uh, what that word vain means says that we shall not use the Lord, God, the Lord thy God's name in vain. This word vain means empty, nothing, worthless, to no good purpose. This command intended uh, to forbid God's children from taking uh, the name of God, taking it up or bearing it upon themselves. I think that's important for us to understand. 
We're not supposed to bear it up in any fashion that is wicked, worthless, or for the wrong purpose. This doesn't mean that we have to go to the extreme, like avoiding using God's name altogether. However, that was the common practice in the Old Testament. I think I brought that up last week. God's name was so sacred to the Jews that they were fearful of violating uh, the third commandment And many wouldn't even say his name because they were afraid that they would mistake, use it wrongly, and have to face the consequences of getting stoned to death. But God doesn't want us to fear using his name. Instead of saying uh, the Lord God's name, the the, uh, children of Israel, instead of saying his name, ancient Israelites would literally say the name. They would use a replacement or they would use another form of it that, like Adonai, maybe you have heard that one. Or they would use um, a four-letter, the Y-H-W-H, a four-letter tetragranaton. Okay, so they would use that in place of actually writing his name or saying his name. They revered it so much and feared it so much they didn't even say it. To this day, they won't say it. In Exodus 3, 13 through 14, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Very interesting. What is his name? So Moses questioned, who am I going to say sent me? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent, uh, has sent me to you. See, Moses knows the power of invoking a name. He grew up in Pharaoh's household, right? He grew up knowing that if somebody invoked the name of Pharaoh, that was serious business. And he knew that if he was going to go and challenge Pharaoh to set God's people free, then he was going to have to have a name that would match or be greater than Pharaoh. So Moses was saying uh, to guys, like, look, if you're going to send me out to face the most powerful man on the earth, then I'm going to need your back. So who am I supposed to say sent me? I need your name. And here God names himself as the great I am, the sovereign, the self-existent one. The name Yahweh is likely to be connected to the Hebrew verb here, to be. Catch that. This is really good. To be. We know this name is perfectly revealed in Jesus, whose name in Hebrew is Yeshua. Catch it. Which means Yahweh saves. Literally, it is Jesus' name. Think about the verb to be right, to be Jesus. Yahweh saves, I am saves, is what Jesus' name means. That's who he is. That's our God. I am saves. Observation number two, God's glory is revealed in his name. Exodus 33, 19, and he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. 
Yahweh, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. God absolutely wanted the children of Israel to invoke his name, just not carelessly. You know, the name Yahweh appears over 7,000 times in the Old Testament. The Lord's Prayer, if we jump to the New Testament, the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9, where Jesus teaches us how to pray, he says, then pray uh, then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This means holy, respected, revered, honor, glorious be your name. The opposite of hallowing God's name is taking it in vain. And the key to understanding that God parents his name, he has authority over his name, he owns it, he has the trademark, he has the copyright, nobody else can make it, name it, change it, do anything else with it. You know, we understand that in our context in today. We understand trademark, we understand that I can't go out and start my own coffee shop and call it Starbucks and serve every cup with a little green mermaid on it. If I do that, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to get sued. I'm going to be in court, and I'm going to be in big trouble, and they're going to take everything. So we know that we can't do that because we don't have the right. We don't have the licensed agreement to use it. God's glory cannot be separated from his name. He owns it, and he only allows us to use it under certain circumstances. What are some ways that we can violate the term of conditions? How can we take the name in vain and miss out on our best lives? Well, I believe that there's three simple ways that we oftentimes uh, fall into these traps to miss out on our best. And that's to buy into what is false, what is frivolous, and what is fake. Matthew 5, through 35, it starts by uh, framing what I mean by false. In Matthew 5, it says, again, you have heard that, and this is Jesus speaking, by the way, and again, you have heard that it is said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely. So he's picking up on this big idea of the third commandment here. But shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. You see, an oath includes a vow or a promise. So if you're a believer and you give your word, it's a form of an oath or promise. It's like when a husband and a wife stand before the church in the presence of God and witnesses, and they read their vows. We're not to take this lightly or haphazardly. And when we do, we are guilty of disobeying the third command and entering into a false promise. Giving our word for something uh, that we have no intention of executing or following through with. When I, when I do weddings, that's part of the, the ceremony. We don't enter into this lightly or haphazardly. 
but with fear and reverence before God. That's why the marriage covenant is so important, and that's why Paul likens it to the relationship of the church and Jesus Christ in the New Testament. That's a picture of what it's like. We're going to be marrying the bridegroom. The church is going to be married to the bridegroom, church being the bride. So in this scripture, Jesus points out their flamboyant use of spiritual language or God talk to seem more uh, reliable. Well, I swear under heaven that I did not do that. I swear by the throne of God. Somehow it makes it seem more credible when we swear by something. But you know what? The same thing happens in our context. Has anyone ever heard? And I want you to go ahead and repeat it because I'm not going to say it all. So I'm going to say it the first part and you, you say the last part. I swear to. Come on, guys. I swear to. God, right? You finished the statement. I swear to. Oh, see, y'all have heard that before. I knew you had. What about this one? As God is my? Mm -hmm. How about this one? I swear on a stack of? Not just one Bible. Not two Bibles. But a stack of Bibles. Man, bring me every translation. I'll swear on that. I promise I was telling the truth. And, you know, the little kid version. Cross my eye. Or excuse me, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Are you really going to stick a needle in your eye if you're lying? Nope. Do you really mean that? But it's our way of saying the same kind of stuff that Jesus is releasing us from. He's removing the burden in Matthew 5. In verse 37, he gives a simple prescription. It's simple, and I love it. I've used it many times. Let your yeses be yes and your noes no. Anything other than this is from the evil one. And don't start throwing around all that weird stuff about swearing on stacks of Bibles and God sprinkling me with holy water, making the sign of the cross and saying I swear, or double pinky promising. Let your yeses be yes and your noes be no. How many people get frustrated when somebody goes out and says that you said something that you didn't say, and then that person comes back and says, you know, so-and-so said that about you. Man, did you say that? And you're like, no, I didn't say that. What's up? Y'all get frustrated with that? Do you understand that? All right. See, my, my 10-year-old did, so I knew you guys would be good. You know, when I was preaching this to Aiden, he's like, yeah, I hate that. So he was kind of giving me feedback in the bedroom today. He's laying on the bed. I was standing up, had my laptop on my dresser, and I was preaching to the wall. And he was chiming in on the background, so it was pretty fun. We get frustrated, especially when somebody takes something that we do say, twist it so it sounds like the opposite of we actually said, and then goes and tells somebody that, and then we come back and it's all messed up and we get really frustrated. I think God gets frustrated too. This verse makes it sound that way. There are several examples of this. God told me this is an example. Well, God told me this. I had a dream. I feel it in my gut. And all those can be true. I'm not saying those aren't true. But I'm saying when you feel like you get a word from God, when you feel like there's a truth or something coming to you from some place, you know, we have a filter. It's called the word of God. 
So I got, I got some news for you. If you get a word and it ain't in the word, then it ain't a word. Did you catch that? I'll say it again. If you get a word and it ain't in the word, then it ain't a word. Because all the words that you get from God are confirmed in his scripture. Everything else is fake. It's a facsimile. It's to steer you off course. Now look, I'm going to pick on you single dating folks too, because I hear this a lot. Stop using God as an excuse to break up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, whatever the case might be. I've heard it many times. I don't think God uh, is calling us to be together anymore. What you mean to say is, look, get a haircut, put on some deodorant, get a job, and move out your mama's house and give me a call. Right? That's what you're really saying. But you want to couch it in some spiritual terms of, God just really telling me that we don't need to be together right now. Look, God wants us to be kind, but he wants us to be candid as well. And stop spiritualizing stuff so much. And don't use his name falsely. Now, if God told you that you're not supposed to be, that's great. But don't say that God told you that, but it was really because he had bad breath. Just don't do it. God wants us to be kind and candid. Don't use his name falsely. His name frees us. Look, catch this. His name frees us from falsehood. He also frees us from what is frivolous. We do this all the time. I'm going to pick on some people tonight. Because I'm as guilty. Look, I'm as guilty as this as anybody. And so now I'm going to have to start changing some things because I done preached it and now I can't be a hypocrite, so I got to start changing myself. Sometimes we do lots of religious vernacular and colloquialisms, sprinkling God talk everywhere that we go. I'm going to give you some examples. Well, praise the Lord. The Bible does say to praise the name of the Lord, but does it say to say praise the Lord? It's kind of like, it's kind of weird. I, I was thinking about this earlier. If I walked up to, or uh, how many dads we have in the house? How many dads we have in the house? You have dad. Okay, so Mark, if your kid comes up to you and goes, Praise the name of dad. You're going to be like, what are you talking about? I mean, do I need to lock you up? What's wrong with you? That's essentially what we're doing. Praise the Lord. And, it, and praising the Lord is a good thing in the right context. But some people do it all the time. It's like, today's Tuesday. Praise the Lord. We're going to eat tacos tonight. Praise the Lord. I mean, I love tacos, but what does God have to do with eating tacos on Tuesday? Is my question. I'm going to get hit by a car. At least it wasn't a truck. Praise the Lord. We need to start dialing it back a little bit. If we're going to use God's name all the time, it loses its weightiness. Another one, Lord have mercy. Now, if somebody, I'm sorry, if somebody comes up to you and says, I've got cancer, Lord have mercy, let me pray for you. That's okay, because it's in the right context. But if you go to the gas station and you see that the gas prices are raised, and you say, Lord have mercy. There again, what does God have to do with gas prices? 
I believe that you should use the Lord's name, and that's okay, but just not all the time. And, if you, and you need to do it for the right reasons. Not everything needs to end with praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, have mercy. I know it sounds a little spiritual, but you know what? It also, using God's name so much, can also make God sound trivial. What do you think? Should we be throwing out OMGs and all of our text and on our social media and on all of our posts? How about this example? You hit your thumb with a hammer or you step on a Lego in the middle of the night walking through your son's room. What are you going to yell? Jesus! Has anybody done that? Don't, don't raise your hand. You know, but I think it's funny. Um, all the time that I served overseas and all the time that I spent with atheists and agnostics and other people of religious types, I never heard anybody smash their thumb or drop a component on their foot and go, Oh, Buddha! It's because there's no power in that name. See, we go for the big name. We go for the big J, Jesus. So when should I say Jesus' name? Well, when you're not cursing. (laughs) When you're not using it improperly. And speaking of curse words, Y'all ain't going to get me to say any tonight because my mama's going to be watching this and she'll wash my mouth out with soap. Do mamas do that still? Okay, I was just wondering because I know I got it a couple times. All right. How many people have ever been made fun of or picked on because of their name? Yeah? Bruce? Well, Bruce Lee. Oh, man. That's what I'm talking about, brother. (laughs) Be like, Ooh! right? Okay. See, my I studied martial arts for thirty years. Yeah, anyway, Bruce Lee was one of my heroes, man. I like man. I like you even more now. I'm serious. Hey, I ain't done. Don't start playing. All right, all right. Well, my name's Jamie Lynn. Two girl names. Man, look at you. Look, I got picked on so much. My older brother, Chad, I don't know why I used his name for one of my children. But he picked on me so bad. And my cousin Todd, they'd sing this song. Jamie's crying. All the time. I wanted to kill him. Kids on the playground would say I had a girl's name. Lord have mercy if a teacher ever said Jamie Lynn. Oh, man, forget about it. Did I, ha- did I say it? Look, see, y'all caught me. But I don't know, that's, that's like right on the line because I was saying, Lord, have mercy, because I still have emotional scars. It's not good enough? Oh, man. It's still, it is still fresh. I'm just preaching it now. Give me a break. Boy, I tell you what, hard, hard room. If you disrespect the name, you disrespect the person. If you disrespect the name, you disrespect the person. 
You don't want a God that can be lowered to your level. You need a God that is as marvelous as he is. I'm not saying that you can't have fun. I'm not saying uh, give, I'm just saying give honor where honor is due. And the third one is it frees us from uh, what is fake. We all are humans and get distracted and it's, it's gonna happen, but it doesn't give us a pass on being complacent in our worship. We should have a posture that really means the words that we're singing and praying. Sing it like you mean it. Pray it like you mean it. We're not just going through the motions, and I'm not saying fake it till you make it. I'm talking about a desperate expectation for the creator of the universe to move in our lives. We are tapping into the power and the presence of the name that is above all names. Sometimes the most fake thing about us is us. We can go to church, we can sing songs, say the right words, tithe, give some alms to the poor, give on top of that. But as Christians, we're missing the mark every time when we tarnish the name which we are called by. You see, in the book of Acts, in the city of Antioch, we were first called Christians. It was a despicable slur that was placed upon us. They despised Jesus, and they called us little Christ to mock us. But those early disciples knew the power of that name. As Peter and John walked up to the gate, beautiful, there was a beggar there. And he said, alms for the poor, alms for the poor, because that's the only way they could make money or survive. And Peter and John said, look at me. And they told him, they said, silver and gold, I have none, but what I have I give to thee in the name of of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. See, they could use his name. Saul, the persecutor, the inquisitor of the church, literally had his name changed by the power of the name. He would go on to invoke that name, to see innumerable miracles, and people restored to relationship with God. So much, in fact, that the seven sons, seven brothers of Sceva, attempted to invoke the name of this Jesus that Paul preaches to cast out a demon. Unfortunately, you can't invoke a name of somebody that you don't have a relationship with. So the demon-possessed person said to them, well... Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? They found out very quickly that they did not have the authority to use that name. So they were found running for their lives, beaten and naked. So it comes down to this. God gives us his name, says not to use it in vain. So we don't want to use it in vain. Some become fearful to use it at all. Well, we're not to avoid God's name or abuse God's name. We are to use God's name in a way that brings honor to God. We are to honor the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We sit in a privileged place in human history where we know exactly who the Lord is. Philippians 2.8 says, He humbled himself 
in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him a name above all other names. And that name is the name of Jesus Christ. And at that name, Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those who are in relationship with Jesus have the power to invoke his name. In our families, in our businesses, in our schools, we carry the name of Jesus. We get to reveal his glory. Everywhere that we go, and when we do, we live our best lives. Finally, if you are a grace-filled believer, don't take this freedom of the name in vain. Honor God when you use it. Let's pray. You can stand with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you. Lord, your word is amazing. Lord, your commands are amazing. They have given us a pathway. Lord, you have written these commands on our heart through Jesus perfectly fulfilling all the requirements of the law and now have written them on our hearts. It's not that they've been a done away with, God, but they've been fulfilled in Jesus and now live on the inside of us. Lord, we still hear your words and we honor you and we accept the path that you have laid before us. If you are here and you don't know Jesus as your savior, you just want to raise your hand and say, Pastor Jamie, I want that. I want God to be the center of my life. I want to revere his name. I want him to be the Lord of my life. Just raise your hand. Yes. Yes, God. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you. Lord, I just pray for this one that raised her hand, God. I just pray, Lord, that you overwhelm her with your presence. Overwhelm her with your power and the assurance of her salvation. All she has to do is say yes. Yes, Lord. I declare that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that God raised him from the dead on the third day. Romans 10, 9 says you're safe. That's it. Now walk. It's called repentance, to turn and follow him. Turn and follow him. That's what's required. Lord, we just thank you. We ask that you just overwhelm all of us with your presence and give us an opportunity, Lord, to start changing our vernacular, changing our colloquialisms and acknowledging you in everything that we do. Lord, we give you thanks and we give you praise. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.